Our scripture reading this morning is found from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Thank you, West. Good morning, everyone. Good seeing all of you here uh, this morning. You know, I was thinking about the um, coronavirus and the pandemic and everything that's going around. And, <clears throat> of course, we might be feeling as though we're being kicked around a little bit right now by the virus. But uh, the good news is, is that we're being told that as time goes on that they're, they're getting this vaccine developed. And, and hopefully that will eventually uh, come. And I think it was um, Dr. Fauci who said that the Calvary's coming. And so we just need to stay patient and let things work its way out. And I think we'll, maybe we'll have something that's really good coming our way. When I think about the pandemic and some of the things that are going on, it reminds me of the story I was reading about. This guy who was from Chicago, he was hunting in, in Wisconsin, is duck hunting, and this duck flew by and he shot it and it landed on the other side of the fence of the field he was hunting. And so he went over and started to step over the fence to retrieve his duck. And about that time, a farmer showed up on, in, on his tractor. And he drove up and he says, what are you doing? The guy says, well, I'm going to collect my duck here. And he goes, not on my property, you're not. He goes, what do you mean not on your property? I can't get the duck. He goes, exactly right. He goes, you're not going to get my duck. That's duck on my property. And the guy says, well, listen, he goes, I'm from Chicago and I've got friends there and one of them's a lawyer and we'll sue you. He goes, well, obviously you don't know how we work at things up here in this part of the country. We don't do things that way. And he goes, well, how do you do things? He goes, we do the three kick rule. What's the three-kick rule? He goes, well, the three-kick rule runs like this. He goes, uh, I kick you three times, and then you kick me three times. And then I kick you three times, and then you kick me three times. And whoever says enough is enough is the one that wins. If you kick, so I say enough, then you get the duck. If not, then you don't get the duck. Well, he's a younger guy than the older farmer, and he thought to himself, okay, let's do this. So he says, okay. And the duck farmer says, well, since it's on my property, I get the first kicks. So he climbs down off his tractor, and he hauls off with a steel-toed boot, and he kicks this hunter in the shin, drops the hunter to his knees. It hurts so bad. He gets back up. He's got a second kick, kicks him in the side. He goes down with his side, thinks maybe he's broke a rib. And then he kicks the third kick in his head. And then he gets up, and he says, okay, buddy, now it's my turn. And the hunter said, nah, I've had enough. You can have the duck. <laughs> I think that's how we sometimes feel when it comes down to this pandemic. We feel like we're being kicked around, but eventually enough is going to be enough, and we're going to find ourselves getting by this, and we just have to stay patient until that time eventually gets to us. Let me remind you about our, our, our Soul to Soul podcast. Maybe there's something that can soften a little bit of the blows that are going on, and I would encourage you to check out the Soul to Soul podcast. It comes out on Thursday 
Clint and Jared and myself, um, we're doing that, and it's just, uh, it's not lighthearted, but uh, it has some things I think that are very practical to our Christian walk, and we're talking about the spiritual disciplines. This will be uh, episode eight, and we're going to be talking about silence and solitude, the importance of being able just to be silent with things and to, and to relax into what's going on around us. So I'd encourage you to uh, listen uh, to that, that thing there. So I've been talking to you about identity, and in our second series of a two-part series is we're talking about embracing our unique gifts and talents. And we began by talking about the gifts that Paul mentions over in Romans, the 12th chapter. In verse 1, he tells us that we are to use our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is our acceptable service of worship to God. And then from verses 6 down through 8, he lays out for us seven gifts that you see behind me as something that is special, that they're the motivation people for specific kinds of ministry and that they're be used for the benefit of the body and I believe these gifts are special in in nature because they truly are gifts that are given to the church to cause it to grow and to become uh, strong if you were to look at verses 4 and 5 then obviously Paul says some important things to us there concerning the body he uses the human body as an analogy he says for as in one body we have many members and these members do not have all the same functions. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And you can see this analogy in a lot of different areas. You can see it when it comes down to corporations and how they run business there. You can see it when it comes down to uh, sports teams. Take, for instance, football. A football team has many players. I think a professional football team has, what, 60, I think it's 63 players that are on their roster. And none of those players all play the exact same positions. You have those who, who are, you know, the excel in offense or the excel in defense. You have a quarterback that seems to be the brain of the offense. You have running backs who do a lot of hard work. You have wide receivers who catch the ball linemen both offense and defense but offense that protects and if the offense doesn't work well as a, a line that i don't care how good you are as a quarterback i don't care how good you are as a running back if you don't have a line that protects the quarterback and opens up the hole then the whole show is not going to go anywhere you know when you talk about offense you have linebackers and safeties and a, a punt uh a kicker and a and a one who kicks extra points and and, and field goals, and you have a kicker and a punter, and you have all these different kinds of, of positions that are all necessary for that team to function well. So a well-rounded football team is one that has players that do things that bring out different kinds of outcomes. Well, the same could be said for the church. We are the body of Christ, and we have many members, but we all don't have the same function. We have different functions within the body of Christ, but we're able to work together for the benefit of each and every one. So I began by talking to you last week about prophecy, and I talked to you about saying, or at least I said to you that when you talk about prophecy, it really is God's bold proclamation. And it primarily means not so much one who is a foreteller, but one who is a foreteller teller one who proclaims the word or declares the word or declares the truth and it's something that burns within their hearts the person can know that they have this gift because of this burning that's within them that that just is there that causes it just has to come out and they feel this desire so strong within themselves that it has to be shared it's so pressing that it has to be shared and so there's a boldness that is within that person to speak out 
And I said to you last week that generally it has to do with calling people to repentance, but it's also used for encouragement. It's also used to uh, build people up. It does a lot of different things, but prophecy is seen in that kind of a way. It's the idea of a bold a proclamation. But then there are other gifts. And the second gift that is on the list is that of, of, of serving. Prophecy declares truth. But when you talk about ministry, or if you talk about service, it's truth that is shown in deeds. It's manifested in deeds. So proclamation, or so prophecy is the proclamation of truth. Service is that of doing the truth. It's deeds, it's acted out for, uh, with those who are around us. And the thing about it is that when you talk about service, it's something that is expected of every single one of us. So there's a sense in which all of us are to be servers, where at the same time there are those who have the gift of service. So what's the difference between the two? Well, in the first case, when you talk about serving, God expects us all to serve. The word serve there comes from this Greek word, diokonia, and it's a word that is translated with the word ministry, or to serve, or service, or a servant. I know there's doulos, which is talking about a bondservant, but in this term here, this is a word that means to minister to others. So it encompasses a, a wide variety of, of common labors. It has a broad use of application. And probably the one that you're the most familiar with as you think about this diakonia is a derivative of it, a word much like it, which is diakonos, or nos, which is the word for deacon. So when we talk about our deacons, for instance, in our congregation, we have 17 deacons who serve the congregation. Some of them just serve because they, they want to be a part and they live their lives in such a way that they're recognized as being servants, though they may not have the gift of service. They just see the need that is there and they, they serve. But there could be those within the, the deacons that have this gift of service where there is this drive within them to serve. My point at this, at this point in the sermon is simply this, is that serving is something that everyone should do. And that word diakonia that is used there in the sixth verse or seventh verse of Romans 12 is this word that you find right here. So all are expected to serve others. You say, well, how do I know that? Because there's numerous passages of scripture that lays out, out for us. For instance, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter and verse 21, there it says, be in subjection to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there is a submission that takes place within the body of believers where we serve one another. We submit to one another, and part of that is that of serving one another. And then you have passages of Scripture like Galatians 5 and verse 13, where Paul says, listen, through love, serve one another. Or over in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse 10, he says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So this idea here in terms of services, it says it comes across in a lot of different kinds of forms. It's done in a, a wide variety of ways, but we are to be serving one another. That's our, our function. I was reading about a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her, her class of children. As she's teaching them, she's talking about them being unselfish in how they live their lives. 
And she's telling them that we need to be unselfish with one another. In fact, as she began to conclude the class, she said to her class, one of the reasons why you are here on earth, children, is that you are to serve others. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And there was a pause for a little bit, and one little girl raised her hand, and she says, well, if I am to serve others, what's everyone else supposed to be doing? And that's just the point. The point is that everyone is supposed to be a servant. We all serve one another in a lot of different kinds of, of ways. At one point in Jesus' ministry, obviously he sees some, I believe he's seen some infighting going on among the disciples and possibly even among the apostles as to, you know, who is the greatest and who should be serving. And Jesus says in Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 25 through 28, he says that Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, well, how do you reach the top? How do you go to the level that is pleasing to God, and that is, it's that of a servant. And so he says to his disciples, the way to the top is for you to serve, which is a lesson for us, that we are to serve in that same kind of manner. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, where Jesus is talking about the separating of the goats from the sheep, he says these words there. He lives out almost a, a list of, of, of service areas. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you came to me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Lord, when do we see you in, in all of this? And Jesus says, in, in that you have done this to others, you have done it to me. There's a sense in which service is seen there. Remember back where Jesus said these words here? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, well, Jesus then washes the disciples' feet in John, the 13th chapter. And you recall in the very first verse there saying, knowing that his time had come, he loved his disciples to the, the uttermost. And during the institution of the Lord's Supper, as he's taking the Passover with him, it says that he washed his disciples' feet. He gets up from the table, girds himself about, and takes a basin and begins to walk around the table and wash the feet of the disciples. And at the end of it, he says, if I then the master wash your feet, what does that say to you? I leave you an example that I, what I have done to you, you do to each other. Was he saying specifically that they had to wash one another's feet? Well, in part. But what he was really driving at is that they were to have the mind of a servant. And even as Jesus in the very shadow of the cross knowing that he's going to die in the most humiliating and horrible kind of way, knowing that he's going to be separated from the Father by, because of sin, there it says that he loved them to the uttermost. He was thinking of them, of taking that moment as a teaching moment and saying to them, you need to be servants of one another. So everyone is expected to serve in the church and no one is exempt from that from the youngest to the oldest we are to find ways to serve one another john over in first john 3 and verses 16 through 19 
He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then he says these words, dear children, some translations have little children. Let us not love in word or, or talk or speech, but in deed and truth. And so it's the ideal of serving. Now, let me ask you this question here. Why would Jesus, why would John have to tell Christians to serve? Well, I would submit to you, he do, they do it because it doesn't come natural for us. I mean, take that little baby that you see behind me. From the time that we are born, all the way up through like 18 plus years, uh, we are fed, we are pampered, almost everything that is necessary to life is given to us. We're served. I mean, everything is given to us. I try to go back and remember what I was like as an adolescent, what I was like as I got through the middle years and, and the teen years. And I have to tell you that most of what was given to me was was fairly taken for granted. I didn't think about how much money it cost to put food on the table. I didn't think about electricity. I just knew lights were on. I didn't worry about being warm or being cold because there was heat and there was, there was air conditioning in the, in, the winter or in the summer and heat in the winter. I didn't think about buying toilet paper. I thought the stuff just magically appeared on the wall somehow. I didn't think about that stuff. I just took it for granted because I was being served all through those years. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have chores and, and didn't have the expectations and responsibility in my family, for the, but for the most part, it came pretty easily. I was being served, but eventually I had to grow up. Eventually I had to mature, and when that happens, you have to make changes. And so at the age of 18, I moved out of my parents' house and moved into my own apartment, you know. And, and I remember I didn't even tell my parents as I was doing I just came home, started packing my stuff, and my mom says, where are you going? I said, it's time for me to go. And I went on. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know about the, buying the toilet paper and the toothpaste, and, but I found out real quickly that that stuff didn't just appear. I started to have to take responsibility and I would submit that that's the way it has to be in the church. I think in the church, when you first come into the church, everybody is serving us. Everybody is taking care of us. We take it for granted that we have 17 deacons that do everything under the sun for this congregation, along with a lot of what other people do. We somewhat take that for granted, but eventually we have to grow up. When you're first a Christian, you think that just, you know, that this Lord's Supper stuff just happens, but it doesn't. Someone has to put that together. Someone has to fill the trays. Someone has to manage this the same way with the service itself. The songs just did it on slides by themselves. There's someone has to work it. The streaming of it doesn't just happen. We have to have videographers down here and those who work through the various technologies to get the stuff out there to us. And so all I'm saying is, is that as a church, we have to mature and, and, and grow. And that means that we have to become servants. In fact, we are commanded to be servants of one another. Okay, so what I'm saying is you don't have to have the gift of serving to serve. But Paul says, with your prophecy, prophesy, and with your service, serve. 
and he calls it a gift. So how are the two different? What is the gift of service? Well, I think when you talk about the gift of service, there are some people who have the gift of serving. They seem to just come by it naturally, and they come by it readily. I mean, they do things without having to be told. They don't have to wait for programs. They don't even have to wait to be prodded by anyone to serve. They just naturally serve. It's within them. It's a part of their, their DNA, if you would, spiritually speaking. They enjoy it. I mean, if you're wondering, do I have the gift of service? Do you enjoy serving others? They're passionate about it. They, they are seeing someone in need for them is like saying, sick them to a, a dog. They sit and they act upon it. So they just see the need and they jump right on it. That's just within them. That's how they are wired, I believe. And I think they are, are gifted in that way. There's an incredible passage of Scripture that I discovered, found over in, in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and verse 15. It, it, it really spoke more to me in the King James Version, but listen to what it says. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos was the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to service or ministry of the saints. The King James uses the word addicted. They addicted themselves to the ministry and to the serving of the saints. There is, it was within them to be that kind of people. So some Christians, I think, are just literally addicted or devoted to serving because they have the gift of, of service. And by that I mean uh, that even though we all ought to serve, Paul apparently says that some people are better at it, at it than others. And if you look around, you'll see people like that. You'll see people in our congregation who are just driven in the service mode. They are inwardly prompted or they are inwardly moved to serve those who are around them. Well, how do you know? Well, they're the ones that are always, you know, in the kitchen getting things ready. They're the ones that you don't even have to ask them. You don't have to say, this is care group 7 and care group 12's responsibility this week to set up and take down. There are people that just show up back there that are not a part of either one of those care groups, and they're going to be helping, you know, when we're having potlucks here at one time in the past, they just showed up here and set up tables and set up chairs and got coffee on and water on the, in the, the water cans and, and drinks and coffee made. They just readily do that. Now, they're the ones who come up with uh, ministry ideas. They're looking for ways that we can serve. Well, well, like what? Well, here it's servers who come up with the idea of, say, a neighborhood free giveaway. That didn't come from me. It didn't come from our elders. It came from some of our elderly women in the congregation who looked at our neighborhood and saw the wealth of our congregation and said, certainly we must have some things that we could give away to our community that might bring them uh, to us. A car wash. We had a young man who said, listen, I want to do, help some people down in Guatemala. And so he begins to organize a car wash to which teenagers said, man, I'm into that. And they did it. Or raking leaves. There's a push now to be raking leaves in different ones' yards. So as you're thinking about that service project, in my yard are a lot of leaves. And so... And so you might think about that ministry. It's killing me to watch Lori go out there and rake those leaves up. So we might need to do something about that. But, uh, or those who give rides. 
You, you need a ride? I can give you a ride to the store. I can go shop for you. Stay at home if you don't feel safe going out because of the virus. I can do some shopping for you. There are those who are great at writing cards of encouragement. Uh, there are those who remember birthdays and anniversaries, and they send cards on a regular basis. I could give you names of a half a dozen of people like that. Those who make visits, those who drop off treats at the doors, those who are making phone calls, those who are organizing drive-bys for birthdays, for, for uh, anniversaries, for you name it, we've done those kinds of things. I'm just simply saying that there are some people that are driven in that direction, and you might be one of those. And maybe you just didn't have recognized it as a, a gift. The Bible has a lot of those people spoken about like that. For instance, over in Acts, the ninth chapter, verses 36 through 42, in verse 36, it says, In Joppa, there was a certain woman there by the name of Tabitha, which in Greek is called Dorcas. And it says, And she was always doing good and helping the poor. And just leaves it at that. She was always doing good. She was always helping the poor. I don't know how old she was, but it says that she became sick. And it doesn't say how she got sick. It says she became sick or ill and died. And they begin mourning over this woman's death. And they hear that Peter is over in, in Leda, which is south of Joppa, not very far away. And so they send two men to Lida to get Peter and bring him back. Well, why did they want him, Peter to come back? Well, they might have heard that he had some miraculous capabilities. Uh, it could have been that they just needed him to be there. I, I don't know why. Uh, but he, he comes there. And as he comes there, they take him to the upper room where Tabitha is lying in state. And it says that all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. That's what it was said about Tabitha or Dorcas these widows these ladies they knew what a great servant she she was her service in my estimation was natural for her that's who she was she didn't need a church program to tell her to make clothings and quilts or whatever else was needed for the the, the widows and for the poor people no one had to put that together no one had to say on thursday we're going to meet down here with a bunch of ladies and we're going to make quilts i'm not saying that's wrong to do that by the way but she didn't have to wait for that kind of thing to happen serving others was her passion and i believe it was her joy i was speaking to a lady just the other day who were, were talking about doing some uh, a ministry and i was talking to this person and i said to said to her i said you know what um Maybe you shouldn't do this by yourself. Maybe you should share this with some other people and get them involved in it. Well, yeah, I could do that. Why do you want to do this just by yourself? And this person said, because I get such joy in doing it. I get so much joy doing it. And, and which is a really good thing. Uh, but I'll show you some reasons in here a little bit why maybe this person needs to extend herself beyond that. But it's, but it's in her in her to be a servant in, in my estimation. And so Tabitha, she discovered her niche. She discovered her gift. I don't think anyone had to tell her she had the gift. It was just natural for her to do it. Timothy, I think, is the same way. You know, Timothy, after becoming a Christian, probably in his later teen years, that's when he runs off from his family. But he doesn't run off just anywhere. He runs off and goes with 
the Apostle Paul. And, and he went with the Apostle Paul to go on these missionary journeys. And as you think about Timothy, he had a great reputation. He was a responsible young man. It says in Acts 16 and verse 2, it says that, that Timothy was well reported by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. He's already serving. And so they recommended him to Paul. Paul's able to recognize that in him that he could be of great help to him. And so, so Timothy becomes a sidekick, a go-to guy for the apostle Paul, and he goes on missionary journeys with him. Eleven years later, Paul writes to the, the church in Philippi, and he says these words, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. It's in him. It's natural. He inwardly cares about the welfare. And so Paul's saying, when I send him to you, you know that you're getting someone that is genuine, that it's in him. Verse 22, he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. He could trust him. In fact, I would submit to you that Paul, or uh, that to Paul, Timothy was his go-to guy. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 9 through 10, Paul's in prison. He's waiting for his execution. It's, it's in a bad, he's in a bad place. And he writes to Timothy and he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this world. He, loved this world. He's gone back to it. Crescens, he's went to Dalmatia. And I forgot what the other guy is, but everyone's gone. Uh, he says that Luke is still with him. But he says to Timothy, I want you to come to me. I want, you to, I want you to come to me, and, and I want you to bring Philemon with you, because, or John Mark with you, because he is of great service to me. When you come, bring my cloak, bring my parchments. My point is, is that he knew that he could trust Timothy. He knew that Timothy was the go-to guy. And I think in our church, our congregation, we have the go-to guys and gals who are willing to come over to people who are willing to extend themselves. They feel motivated to do various kinds of ministry to serve others. I was reading a story about a, a, a lady. She calls up her friend. She asks her friends, how are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm having such a terrible day. She goes, I, I ache all over. I get a splitting headache. I ache from the, uh, all over in my arms and my legs. The house is an absolute mess. The children are driving me crazy. Her friend says to her, well, listen, dear, why don't you take some ibuprofen? Go lie down. I'm on my way over. I'll come over and, and I'll, I'll watch the kids and I'll clean your house and I'll even, you know, prepare supper for Sam when he gets home. The woman says, Sam? I don't have a husband named Sam. And the woman on the other end got silent. And after a while, she, she goes, oh, dear, she goes, I must have called the wrong number. To which the woman says to her, does that mean you're not coming over? <laughs> Listen, people are going to come over. Servants are like that. And you know, my guess is, is that when that lady said that to this other woman, I bet you she did go over. I bet she did go over there and help this unknown person. Because I think it's in her to do that. I think that's part of who she is. So let me just share with you very quickly some characteristics of those who are devoted to, to serve. I, I didn't get this on my own. I forgot where I got the source from, but it's a reputable source, and they gave some strengths and weaknesses for servants. And in these, these 
strengths here that I'm getting ready to show you, these characteristics, see if you don't see yourself in there. And if you see yourself, then that might be saying to you that you have this gift. Number one, those who have this gift of serving see and meet the practical needs of others. They don't look for big things. They just look for practical things that they see that's going on in a person's life, and they are there to meet that need. They find ways to free others up to achieve their goals. When I think about that, I think about Acts, the sixth chapter, where the Grecian widows are being neglected, and so they go to the apostles about it, and the apostles say, listen, you need to choose from among yourselves seven men full of the Spirit, and let them take care of serving tables while we retain what is essential to our ministry, which is declaring the word or proclaiming the word. So they chose seven men and they became servants. And in doing so, they freed up the apostles. And so it could be that you're one of these people who are able to look what's going on and you see a deacon that feels overwhelmed in some ministry and you might see yourself as one who says, you know what, I can help that deacon in that area and free him up to do other things. They tend to disregard their own weariness and tend to use their own money or resources and strength to meet the other's needs. And so they're tireless. They may be bone tired, but if they see a need, they work through that weariness. They have a difficulty saying no. They feel an obligation to meet needs. I'm not saying that you don't need to say no from time to time, but I think a person with this gift has a hard time saying no and probably has to be reminded maybe from their mate or from a friend you need to say no you can't say yes to everything they are alert to the likes and dislikes of others they seem to have an amazing ability to remember special days like birthdays and anniversaries as well as favorite activities and foods that they can make uh, the occasion special now i could give you names but as soon as i start giving you names then I would miss someone. But I'll give you the name of a person who no longer goes to church here, who used to go here, and that's Susie, Susie Boyer. Remember Susie? Su Susie still sends me birthday cards and anniversary cards. She lives in Tennessee now, but she was like that when she was here, always puts a piece of candy in there with it. Her daughter does the same thing. I think she's gifted in that way. Such an encouraging, encouraging person. And we have lots of people in our congregation, both men and women, that are just like what I'm talking about. And, and I know who they are. And you probably know who they are as, as well. If that's you, then that's your gift. They like short-range projects. They seem to be drawn to the immediate needs of, of others. They put extra touches on jobs they do. They, they like going the second mile and putting personal touches in the way they help others. They don't just say the job's got to be done and then do it. They do it, and then they do a little bit more than just that. Without saying any names, all you have to do is look around in our church building here, and if you were even a little bit observant, you would have known that we had cracks all through our ceilings. I mean, lots of cracks through our ceilings. You know that one of our brethren took care of those cracks. Didn't pay him a penny. Took care of every one of those cracks. That's a servant. And he did a super good job. He didn't just get it done. He did a really good job doing it because I watched him do some of it and encouraged him because I had the gift of encouragement. And number eight, they, they like to meet needs quickly. And so they tend, not to wait, they tend to avoid the red tape and wait on committees to tell them to do something. They see the need and they take care of it. So those are those who have the gift of, of servant. The point is that those who have this gift of servanthood can be an inspiration to the rest of us. 
They instinctively do what the rest of, the rest of us need to learn to do. And they can encourage in, in, in that kind of way. The problem for servants is that they tend to want to do it all by themselves. That's the problem. I've got this gift. I can do it. And I don't have to work through a lot of mess by having other people help me out with it. I can do it. I can do it well. So I just do it myself. And, and that's okay. But at the same time, they often don't want to share the opportunities because they like or they enjoy doing this stuff. And as a result, people who could benefit from learning to be better servants get blocked. And so if you have a gift of service and you tend to always just want to do it yourself, drag someone along with you. Help someone along with you to bear some of the load. Because they're supposed to be servants anyway. Give them a help, show them how to go about it. And so the best servants not only understand how to serve, they look for ways to involve others in, in the process. So the gift of service simply means you're devoted to being a servant. Let me close with this story. It's a story about a guy by the name of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce has had leukemia and he's terminal. But he wants to visit a friend of his in, Do in, in Indonesia before he dies. So he travels to Indonesia and he, he gets there and he's with a friend and one evening they're out walking in the village. And they come across a girl who is laying by the river on a, on a mat. And he sees her on the mat and she looks terrible. And so Bob asks his friends, he goes, what's, what's going on here? And he says, this young girl is dying of cancer. And, and, and it upsets Bob. He goes, why doesn't someone do something about this? Why doesn't someone take care of her? Why isn't she in a hospital or, or in a clinic and being watched after? And so... Bob Pierce feels so moved by what he is seeing here that he, he moves on it. His friend tells him she wants to be here by the river because it's cool here and, and it's familiar to her. So Bob, he gets down on his knees in, in the mud and he begins to stroke her hand. And he says a prayer over her to which she doesn't understand anything that he is saying. And when he's done, he stands up and she says something to him. And Bob says to his friend, he goes, what did she just say? And he said, she just said, if I could just sleep again. If I could just sleep again. And Bob is so moved that he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a bottle of pills that are sleeping pills that have been given to him by his doctor because he can't sleep at night either because his leukemia is so painful that he takes a sleeping pill to go to sleep at night and he takes his pills and he gives them to his friends, and he says, make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep. And that she's to do so until she runs out of pills. Now, Bob Pierce is not going to be able to get to a place for 10 days where he can get his prescription refilled. But he's okay with that. He's willing to lose sleep so that another could sleep in Christ's name. That's a servant. That's a man who has a gift of service where he puts others before himself. And I believe that that's who some of you are like that. I'm not saying all of you are like that. And I'm not saying if you're not like that, that you're bad because you have some other gift. But if you have the gift of service, you are so important 
and so valuable to the church. I would say you're the front line. Like on a football team needs a front line to protect everyone. If that front line doesn't do its job, well, then the stars are not going to do anything. I don't care how good Tom Brady was. Tom Brady was good because he had a good offensive line that took care of him. Same for his running back. Same for his wide receivers. Those guys don't get to become stars without those guys up front doing the hard work. And I'm going to submit to you that, that when it comes down to the health and vitality of our church, we need people who have the gift of service, who recognize their gift and then use it. May God bless you as you devote yourself, as you become addicted to serving one another and as we as a church grow because of your service. The greatest servant in the world, of course, was Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. many. Jesus put all of us ahead of himself. He's the ultimate servant. And so he's done that for us so that we could be saved. And so if you're feeling called to him this morning and want to respond to your faith, then I would suggest and encourage you to do so if you're not here and you, and you want to become a Christian, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, then get hold of my, me. I'm Richard Sutton if you don't know who I am. Get hold of Clint Davidson or Jared McCormick or one of our elders, and we'll assist you in your birth into Christ. Or if you are maybe encouraged by the lesson and you would like to respond, once you do so, while together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity. When we walk with